for just about everything for the outdoors. Go to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Today is July 4th. Happy 4th of July to everybody out there. It is episode 308. I am your host, Aaron Blasey, and with me, as always, DJ Riley. What's going on, man? I haven't literally, we haven't talked in a long time. You've been down to Chicago doing some dance stuff. We've been, I've been on vacation kind of thing. We haven't talked like we normally have. I feel like this is like a new friendship happening here. <laughs> <laughs> man, I, I've been good. We just got back, like you said, from a week of uh, dance nationals. And I tell you, it, w- it was a really solid week for my girls. It's uh, it's one of those things, you know, as, as much as we always talk about, like how much we love the process of hunting, the scouting, the shooting the bows, and then hunting season rolls around. I look at their uh, their dance season as the same. You know, they 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 dance year round. They're training all the time, and then they start competing kind of in the winter, and then nationals rolls around in June. And I can see that year round process in them too. And you know, not only do these these dance nationals make it a big deal for them, also like I also try to too because I know mm-hmm. what that process feels like, and it's kind of like their super bowl right it's that's the national so it's we had a great week i mean we brought home a lot of top tens um one national championship so it's it was it was a solid week i love watching you know i love watching them put the work in and then it all come together on stage but we're back home now like you said it's fourth of july dude and that only means one thing here for summertime and it is it's trail camera season boys (laughs) yeah well it means two things for me fourth of july means my wife's birthday so today is Mm -hmm. my wife's birthday so happy birthday to her um but also yes like it is trail camp season and i got a little head start um and i say a head start but like you know every year i always think of it as like july 4th is is the the opening day of trail camp season if it was like a law and it's just because you know 
you go around in glass and deer right now and it's or you know a week or two before now it's they're still not to the point where you're like ah who's who is that you know unless they have like a chip in their ear or marking or you know something um so i just think i'm turning my wheels you know trying to identify what deer and and who they are but i'll tell you what man um i did do some glassing recently and uh saw some good like you know, going to be promising deer. You can tell by the, their bases and, and by their brows and, and what their beams are doing right now. But, um, so that was good, but I've already got, uh, one, two, three, four, five trail cameras out. So I, I spent two days last week, I, not two full days, but you know, you and I were just talking about it in, you know, for us, it's more of like, Hey, if I get an hour, I'm going to slip out and, and put a camera up. And, you know, you got these areas already strategically like thought out from the spring. And, um, I've got five cameras out, got a lot more to put out, but, uh, I feel good. I like, I scratched that itch for a little bit and now it's like, okay, I, I can wait a little bit longer, you know, like <laughs> they're out there, they're working. And, and, uh, so it, it's pretty cool to see that as well. But yeah, it's seasons here, man. As far as I'm concerned, July, July 4th is opener of season so we're here yeah yeah it's uh some of those spots that you were putting the cameras you know you were sending me some pictures and videos and they look killer but i i, I tell you what i freaking love the fact that you know you and i talked about this that that even though you've been hunting for a long time and you've been running trail cameras for a long time but you you wanted to take your trail camera game to the next level this year. And I love that because it's like, you don't, you're not just settling because you've been doing it for years and you, you know, you're not, your head's not too big of, well, I already know how to do it all. So I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing where it's like, no, you're taking it to the next level. And I, I, I love seeing guys do that, you know, and we talk about this a lot, especially with trail cameras. It's like, listen, if you're going to use your, spend your time and money running them, make them things work for you the best that you can. And I can already see that even though you only had that first handful out with the setups that you have from last year to this year, I can already see the change in you with them. So dude, kudos to you. I love that shit. Yeah. And, and you know, people might be asking, how are you upping your trail cam game from seasons past? And honestly, the, the, the way I'm taking it in is in and I'm hunting all private. Okay. So I can cut trees. I can do whatever, you know, but how many times have you set a camera out and you know, there might be a branch in the way or there might be leaves or uh, grass in the way or whatever. I, I took the approach of this year. If I got to butcher half the tree, I, I want to sit it and forget it. And when I come back to pull the card, if it's an SD card or if it's a cell camera, when I come back to pull the card or if I'm getting pictures on my phone, I don't want to have to go in there. Now, cell cameras, well, actually all cameras, but cell cameras are designed so you don't have to go in there. That, that's plain and simple. That We know that. You know, it, It's designed for you to set it and forget it. So that was rule number one for me. And to get them, you know, to get them in a, in a, in a height where they are the most efficient, like you know, play, I've been playing around the last couple of years with, you know, height, whether it's nine foot or 12 foot or 15 foot up or whatnot and, and angles and, and where you want to put them in and what you're putting them on. And, um, you know, so I was up in my game as far as that goes, but also just being 
you know, instead of taking only five to 10 minutes setting up a camera, like I'm spending, you know, 30 to 45 minutes at a location making sure the camera's right. And, you know, that might be getting up there, positioning it, get closing it up, getting down, walking around for, you know, two minutes in every different situation, maybe walking down a run if that's what you're on, or if it's at a scrape location, sitting by it, making movements, going up there, checking the card, you know, put the card in the bottom of the phone, you know, you got a, a reader on the phone and making sure everything's dialed. And I'm just taking it a step further. Like I've always been very much like I only got a half hour to go put a camera out. Well, I'm just going to go throw it up. And then when you get back, it's like, shit, forgot mm -hmm. to cut that limb or, you know, getting asses of deer or getting the top of their back. And it's like, or deer are picking the camera off. I'm like, no more, no more, man. And I am doing a lot more strategic um, tree, like picking out trees, strategic trees. And what I mean by that is the size of them. I before would put it on whatever tree. Now I'm making sure that that tree is bigger than the, the profile of my camera. Um, I don't want anything protruding out of, out of the tree, out of the tree. You know what I mean? Anything that might make that tree look a little awkward of, uh, you know, like a box out of one side of the tree, if a deer might look at it, like, I don't want it that way, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and also like I take the approach of if a human was to walk in here, it's just a thought process. If a human was to walk in here, I don't want the human to find it. Like, mm -hmm. and it's not that I'm trying to, I'm on private, like I said, but if I can out, if I can fool a human and you know what I mean? I feel like I could probably fool a deer as well. Um, that it might be just a weird thought process, but that's some of the, the, the ways that I'm, you know, approaching this and taking my trail cam game, like amping it up a little bit. Yeah. And, and I tell you what, and you nailed all those points, but there's also one I actually think you're missing and I'm going to give you credit for it, but you know, these were, how, how many cameras did you say you had out so far? Five, five, yep. Five cameras. Now you didn't go out and pick five spots and go put cameras. Like you did your work in the off season already. Like mm -hmm. these are pre-planned spots for cameras, whether they're scrapes, you know, entry exits from bedding, bedding itself, these are pre-planned stuff. And I think that is what makes guys really good at trail cameras is knowing, you know, you've already done your scouting. So you know exactly where you want that camera when it comes summertime or whenever you enjoy putting cameras out, you already know where you want that. Yep. And that that's, that's the work that's being done. Even though it's still the off season, there was still off season before this for your trail camera work and, and kudos to you. But something I've actually watched you do over the last year is you're starting to kind of change your trail camera height and you kind of hit on it. Um, are you finding that sweet spot where you starting to really figure out like, Hey, you know, eight to 10 or, or, or six to eight, or do you have that sweet spot for your camera height right now? I do, man. And it's nine foot, it's nine mm -hmm. foot. And, um, cause last year I put up some that were like 12 foot. Mm -hmm. And like the Riley scape scrape was like 12 foot. And I just thought it was too high. I felt like mm -hmm. I was missing some deer. I felt like it wasn't triggering quick enough. Um, and also, and we, everybody knows this, but like, you know, putting cameras up a little higher in the tree makes the bucks look smaller. You know, it, it, yep. it, it, it does like it, it just, which is not a big deal. I mean, 
in some sense it might be because if it's a tweener and you're like oh i wouldn't kill that deer and then like you see him in the field and you're like oh god that deer's a lot bigger than i thought you know um but like the nine foot range i feel like it's just you know just out of the light or out of sight <laughs> this line yep. of sight there you go and i just feel like it triggers well um and i don't miss anything now the biggest thing is the angle and trying to figure out that right angle i i couldn't tell you what angle it's at or whatnot it's just all on feel and and what you want to you know accomplish where it, you know it could be a scrape that's 10 feet away but i will say i'm 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 trying to put the cameras, so all, all the cameras that I put out, um, okay, I put one on a buck bed, and then the rest, or I put one on a buck bed, I put one on a J-hook trail, and we'll get into that, uh, and then the rest of them I put on scrapes already, and all the scrapes are at least 10, no, I'm going to say they're 12 foot away from the tree itself, at mm. least. Um, I hate when I, I, I'm, I'm a, I was always a person that would put them way too close to the, to the subject or where you're trying to, trying yeah. to capture. And it's just like, that's a recipe for disaster because it's like, well, I want it to trigger. It'll trigger. Don't, it'll trigger. Don't yeah. worry about that. Um, uh, I like to get them that, that 10 to 12 foot away from at least 10 to 12 foot away from, uh, I don't even think it's foot. I think I was saying that wrong. 10 to 12 yards. That's where I'm trying to say yards, not foot. Okay. Um, 10 to 12 yards away because, I don't know, it's just that's a good good spot that I found. So, I don't know. Are you seeing – you've ran cameras on a high end for a lot longer than I have. So, like, is that kind of go with your philosophy as well or what's your sweet spots? Yeah. So, I've been running cameras high, I think, for about six years. And – um I've learned to, it's almost, you know, if I had to put a hard number on it, for me, it's it's probably right around that seven to eight foot range for me. And it's funny because it's like, it's not even like that I, I'm out there measuring it. It's when I put the stick on the tree, I put, you know, my climbing stick on the tree the same way. And when I climb up to it and where the camera goes, it's pretty much always the same where it is proportioned to where my, say my shoulders are, or my chest is, you know, trying to figure out the height. But like you said, it's all, it's all situational dependent on, you know, if that scrape is, is it 12 yards away or is it eight yards away? Cause then the, your angle is going to kind of change. But I really found that seven to eight foot range. I, it just, that's kind of the sweet spot. Like you said, you go up too high and it just start, you start losing even more. Cause there's no doubt when you start hanging a camera high, you are going to, you are going to lose a little bit of that picture. But the benefit for me, at least here in Michigan, and I think you're seeing the same thing. Cause we discussed, you know, some, you know, that those three foot cameras, it's like, man, they just, they just get detected by every deer. And it's not that it scares every deer, but it's maybe that one deer that it does scare. That may be the deer that you're after. So that's what hanging them high is. It's probably one of the most beneficial things I've done with my trail camera game over the last 10 years. It's, it's, I, you can't deny the results of, you know, how many deer are looking at them and not looking at them, honestly. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, it takes a little bit of fine tuning to figure that out mm -hmm. and, and really, really like 
paying attention to it though too and you know really asking yourself like oh you see a deer i haven't had a deer look at a camera yet um you know from when i when since i've found that sweet spot but when you do get one it's like oh what's that deer looking at like why did it trigger why did it look at it why did it see it you know what i mean and could Mm -hmm. be anything but uh definitely take take into consideration all that stuff um yeah and if you can if you can trim a whole bunch of limbs trim everything like you you're you're there to do a job do it a hundred percent take an extra five minutes to to make sure nothing is gonna you know get in the way of that sensor the camera and trigger it a whole bunch of times yeah i i put it like this if i if i came into your house if i put a trail camera on your fire mantle you'd notice it right away but if I put one up in the corner by the ceiling, it probably would take you longer if, and maybe you wouldn't even notice, but I would have already, if I put the one up in the corner, I have your picture already before you can even figure it out. Right. The one on the fire mantle, you may see it and never even walk into it, you know? So that, yep. that's always kind of been my, my thought. I just, I've had really good luck with it, you know? And, but I tell you what, I've, I've went out of state before and you know, didn't have a stick with me and just hung it at normal height. And I, sometimes I don't have problems with it. You know, I think mm-hmm. it's very situational dependent and there's no doubt hanging trail cameras high takes more work. And you already nailed that once in there where you hang the camera. So you put your stick on the tree, then you hang your camera, you get down and you don't like the height. So then you got to climb back up and adjust it. You're kind of hugging the tree. There's no doubt it takes a little bit more work, but to me, it's every bit of that work is worth it. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> I couldn't agree more. I, I do want to get into, we're not going to do it today. We'll do a season 23 episode on it. Cause there's, um, there's some things along with this trail cam talk and some things I've changed up with some scrapes and, and locations and, and why I put cameras in, in certain locations, but also, um, I broke down, uh, a pretty, pretty significant buck bed that I found in the spring um, I've already got like a trap set on that and I want to explain mm-hmm. more into that, but we won't do it today. Um, we'll, we'll do it. Maybe we'll even record something and maybe throw one out this Friday. Maybe we'll record it later this week and, and get another episode out for you guys. Cause I think it's pretty unique and it and has to do with, with hunting buck bedding in the morning. Um, something that I've never really done and something I'm learning right now and yep. learning from guys that are better than me at it. And, um, I, I opened up my eyes a lot to something just by walking around for an hour and a half the other day. And, uh, I'd l- we'll get into that on a different episode, but it, it's yeah. really, it really neat. So I can't wait to dive cool. into it. Yeah, me too. I love that stuff, man. Good stuff. <laughs> yeah. So today's podcast is with Mr. Jared Aridoti and, that name might not ring a bell to a whole bunch of people, which I think is, if it doesn't, um, that sucks because you're missing out on one of the OGs. And <laughs> I I texted Jared the other day. This is something I didn't even tell you. I was texting with him, and and I just wanted to thank him and everything and say, hey, man, you know, thanks for coming on and, and, and spilling the beans on all, you know, your knowledge and everything because, and you and I have talked about it, but. I told him, I said, you are like the path, whatever you call it, the path maker, whatever that word might be for getting all this information out there as far as like everything that we consume now 
everybody, I don't care who you are as a hunter, Jared was producing DVDs back, way back. Mm -hmm. And uh, they are called, well, they were, we're Blood Brothers, right? The Blood Brother, yep. Brothers DVDs. And then it went yep. into Next Buck DVDs. And they he produced DVDs on Farm Country with uh, Farm Country, Marsh Hunting, and Hill Country. And he's, you know, he highlighted guys in there, big name guys now that nobody knew about back then. You know what I mean? And that was like where you see, like he was the foundation of all the information, getting it out there. You know, Dan Infault was on these videos, Andre DeQuisto, Justin Hollinsworth, just to name a few, you know what I mean? There's more guys on there too, that killers, straight killers. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, you've, you've had the DVDs forever, but I went and ordered all the DVDs and watched them. And I'm like, you know what? There's no groundbreaking information that we know now, but it's like, you know, these videos were produced, you know, almost two decades ago. And it's like, wow, just cool to hear that information from back then, you know, from those guys. And this was the only outlet at the time. Those DVDs was the only outlet at the time to get that information out there. So, so to me, watching those DVDs, it really made me think of like, dude, he was the one that produced them, edited them, and he is in them as well spitting his knowledge like he is an underground high elite hunter killer everything jared aradotti is he's legit man and i've had him on the podcast before this was years ago and i don't know if i real didn't realize it at that point but like dude he's he's top notch like he's a guy i don't know why his name isn't as big as you know an infald or a, a hollandsworth or something like that because he's he's right there with him man yeah, no, it's he was he was definitely one of the guys out there laying the pavers. I mean, like you said, you know, 10, 12, 20 years ago, you know, and, and when you say that for some people may not have heard his name before, let me tell you this, guys. If you are into mobile hunting, if you are into trying to, you know, learn how bucks bed in their travel routes, all that kind of talk is from those DVDs, you know, a dozen years ago, okay? They, they not that they, there wasn't anyone doing that, but they were the ones that were finally kind of broke through with the informational DVDs providing that kind of hunting. The stuff, there was very, very few people doing it back then. Very few. It's very popular now. So if you, even if you haven't heard his name, you you can probably thank Jared for your style of hunting now because it has paved the way for pretty much anyone mobile hunting nowadays. Mm -hmm. A lot of it. I mean, yeah. for, I'm, I'm so happy that you've got those DVDs and I knew when you, when you bought them that there probably wouldn't be a lot of groundbreaking stuff like you said, because everyone talks about it nowadays, but everyone gets to talk about that now because of those DVDs. Yeah. And, and if for anyone that's kind of serious about mobile hunting and trying to, you know, hunt around buck bedding and all that kind of information in that style of hunting, you should have these DVDs in your arsenal, at least to make, always have them. You know, like I, I've got a good buddy that he'll pop those in every, you know, once a year and just get a refresher on them. He, he's got notes of where the timestamps in the DVDs that he, he really likes because they 
portray to his style of hunting and his kind of situation. And he'll go through those every year, pick up something here, pick up something there. And it, I thought it was awesome because you and I have talked about it since you've watched him and you're like, no, dude, I picked something up on it. I'm like, that's crazy. Yeah. You know, you're, 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 you know, this is coming from a guy that has a podcast over 300 episodes, takes and listens to all kinds of people, all kinds of content. And you can watch one of those DVDs from years and years ago and still pick something up on it. And that's also be good at being open-minded though, not being, you know, stuck in a corner only doing things one way so kudos to you on that also yeah and it was like that farm country one i popped in and i'm like within the first 15 minutes of it i learned something you know on on hunting river bottoms and in and, and ag country and i'm like gosh like you know just something mm -hmm. that you know a lot of times me and i'm sure other guys as well that get so tunnel vision because you kind of rinse and repeat every year and and it's like it's good to have those refreshers and good to to kind of get grounded again and be like yeah like that mm -hmm. option's out there you know like this when i see this i can deploy this tactic and this might work you know yeah. so that yeah, was really cool for me yeah and like you said jared's a great guy i mean dude phenomenal hunter phenomenal human in my opinion like mm -hmm. he's always seemed very very humbled to me from you know you talk to him in person to how you see him on those dvds same person same person man and and uh you know i don't you know maybe he just doesn't like the spotlight a ton nowadays and that's okay you know what i mean the sometimes the hunting industry can get wild but uh the guy is still hunting i mean we talked to him off record the guy's got some special tags in his pocket this year that uh awesome opportunities but no yeah. it, it was a great conversation i'm so glad that we were able to you know catch up with them you got those dvds and i i really really think people are are going to enjoy this episode with jared yeah and and just to kind of preempt something we are gonna have a guest on that was stemmed from these dvds that i never heard his name before ever um until these dvds um he'll be coming on soon and he is, oh man, he is <laughs> legit, and I don't know why people don't know this guy. It's yep. we'll we'll just leave it at that. I I don't want to give too much away, but I will say, like, uh, he's just got a lot of record book bucks. <laughs> he does a lot uh, from yep. some pretty high pressured states. So we'll just leave it there, but. Anyway, that is today's podcast. That's going to be the meat and potatoes of it. Um, I want to talk real quick about uh, our website, fallpodcast.com. Go there. We still have some merch, hats, uh, shirts, hoodies, and everything. Um, go to fallpodcast.com. Check them out. Get uh, some merch coming. Uh, also, I want to talk about grit. So, you know, a lot of people that have listened to this podcast and, and know me, you know that I work full-time for Latitude Outdoors, which is a tree saddle company here out of Michigan, a mobile hunting company. And uh, we just launched our digital series Grit last week on the Latitude Outdoors YouTube channel. So it's going to go live Fridays at 5 p.m. Eastern, but it's going to be every other Friday, okay? So last Friday... Uh, the first episode went live. It was Nebraska early season. Alex kills a slammer in there. Um, it looks great. Uh, Derek Bradis and I are doing the editing on it and everything. And it's, you know, it's a team effort, but it, it looks awesome. You know, it, 
it was a really good job, you know, from A to Z, the whole team did a really good job. So I want you guys to go check that out. In the off weeks when it's not airing, on Fridays, there's going to be a hunt breakdown. So Nebraska was last week. This Friday, you're going to see a hunt breakdown of that hunt, the terrain, the thermals, the location, and why, like the, the, the crop rotation. You're going to see what happened in that hunt, like a behind the scenes. Uh, that's going to go live Friday on the YouTube channel as well. So and then the following week will be another grid episode, and then you'll get a hunt breakdown on that one. So it's it's going to be like an every other week deal. You'll have content every week, but the hunt the episodes will be every other week. So go check that out. Subscribe to Latitude Outdoors YouTube channel. Um, you won't miss out because there's a lot of other cool stuff on there, like the in session stuff and the deep dive into the scouting and off season scouting. So much cool stuff on there. So go do that. Um, I want to roll right into some partners here that, uh, you know, they support the heck out of us and, and we're able to to help us do this and uh, kind of get the word out to some people about some really cool products and some some discount codes. We got some discounts code. So I'm going to I'm going to roll right into Latitude Outdoors still. We got a code The Fall Podcast. Uh, you know, you can go there and sticks platforms saddles ropes if you want i just ordered some new ropes and uh, an oval carabiner and a kong duck because i needed another one so i physically went on there and ordered and uh used my code just because i wanted to use it and uh that's what i did i like i think it's really cool so go there and uh put in the fall podcast all one word at latitudeoutdoors.com uh helix broadheads you know it's a fixed blade single bevel uh, the penetration, accuracy, and it's most of all dependable. Uh, you get good blood trails, and you can measure your recovery in seconds, literally in seconds, because I've shot five deer with these over in, you know two years, and they're flying really well and uh, getting the job done. So you can use the code FALLHX10 to uh, get some broadheads. Now, I know you've been shooting them in the yard, so tell me, you know, last time we talked, I think you hadn't shot them yet. You've been shooting them in the yard. Give me your honest opinion and go. 10 out of 10. <laughs> 10, 10. <laughs> no, they, 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 they've been shooting great. I, I haven't had to move it a single thing, a single thing on my, on my setup to shoot these broadheads. Um, my only concern is, is keeping my fingers away from them. Being, that, 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 that is sharp. my only concern. Yes, they sharp. <laughs> like, to, you yeah. know, because I, I, I have, you know, one of the three packs and the singles. So I said, well, I'll, I'll use the single. I'll just open this up and I'll shoot this. And, uh, dude, it is, it's very <laughs> sharp. And That's... For now, every time I draw, draw my bow back, I'm like looking at it to where my hand is to make sure I'm not even close to that thing. But, yep. no, it's, uh, Flying very true, very true, very quiet, very quiet broadhead in my opinion. Yep, that's awesome. I I, I can't say anything different about them because that's what I've experienced for the last two years. So if you guys want to check them out, go to helixbroadheads.com. Use the code FALLHX10 to get your broadheads coming. Uh, the next, Exodus. So Exodus Outdoor Gear, they are running a giveaway right now. With uh, They've teamed up with Latitude. So what they're doing is if you go to exodusoutdoorgear.com and uh, there will be a tab right there. It says Exodus and Latitude Giveaway. It's a $750, $750 value. So what you're doing is you got to click on that. You put in uh, your full name, your number, and your email address, and you hit Submit, and you are submitted for the giveaway. And what the giveaway is is Latitude, we're giving away a uh, set of the Speed Series 
uh, climbing sticks that we have, our new carbon composite climbing sticks. And Exodus has given away a rival cell cam and a dozen NIS arrows. So go to exodusoutdoorgear.com, check out that giveaway, put your stuff in, submit that, and uh, you won't regret it because I, you know, well, cat's out of the bag. I work for Latitude, so I can run the sticks right now. I've had the sticks, they are just muy bueno. That's what they are. And then the rival, I've been running two rivals for the last couple months, and muy bueno as well. I, I really like the Rival cell cam. The thing is small. The pictures are good. And the video is even better. And uh, like I said, I just like small things that nobody knows that they're there or any deer don't know they're there. So <laughs> go to that. Go check those out. Uh, it, let me ask you this. It's, you know, it's almost midsummer. Yep. That could possibly be the best giveaway all summer long. I mean, trail camera, a set of sticks, and a set of arrows. I mean, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I may have everyone in my family go sign up for the giveaway. Yeah, yeah. I kind of, I kind of want to win. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I would do that because I agree on that. That giveaway. There's some really high quality products in there. <laughs> Just so happened yesterday, one of my buddies, Pat, came over and he ordered the Latitude sticks for the pre-order, but he has yet to see them or hold them. And I have them here in the office, and he was dropping some stuff off and we were walking out of the office and he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. He's like, what's this? He picks him up and he goes, holy shit. And you got to know Pat, like you'll get to know him because he's going to Kansas yeah. with us. He's very like kind of animated. He goes, oh my God. And he's holding them. He's like, are these like a display model? Like, are these real? And I'm like, dude, that's what you're going to be getting. He's like, okay, I'm so glad that I did this. And, you know, he was just like <laughs> jaw dropped. And so yeah. if that doesn't say anything to you guys, you guys, if you haven't touched them or felt them or played with them or anything like that, you're not going to regret that. So, yeah. But the Exodus Outdoor Gear giveaway teamed up with Latitude. Go go and do that. And the other thing is with Exodus, their trail cams and everything, five-year warranty. You know you're going to have a camera for five years. Like, Mm -hmm. you can't say that a lot about a lot of cameras. So that five-year warranty is huge. So go to Exodus Outdoor Gear and get submitted for that giveaway. Um, next, Garmin. Uh, everybody knows that I love Garmin products. David is just dabbling. I have yet to ask David his opinion on the Garmin yet, now that he's actually had it on his bow for quite a while and uh, about a month or so mm -hmm. and yep. been shooting in it. Give me one word that describes your Garmin bow sight. Precise. Mm, okay. Okay. Yeah. It's, Didn't think you were going to go there, but yeah, I like that. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's very precise, dude. I mean, the thing is, it's top tier quality, the way it functions. I mean, it is, <laughs> dude, it's, it is deadly. It is, it is, it's deadly, dude. It, it mm -hmm. truly is. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, yep. I, I think I got two, two people that now that have been around it are, they're thinking hard right now. They're thinking. Yeah. Hard. See. Yeah. <laughs> yep. If you guys want to know more about that, go to Garmin.com. I actually did a video as well about the XD mode on the Fall Podcast YouTube channel. So if you guys aren't familiar with the YouTube channel, go to the Fall Podcast YouTube channel and subscribe there. We've got uh, a lot of my hunts that I've done in the past and, you know, with the great Hambino and then my Ohio deer and 
many more deer on there as well, those hunts. So go check them out if you're looking for any content to uh, to consume. Um, next, Buck Bourbon. If you guys are looking for any ground blinds, we've talked about this before, go to buckbourbon.com. Use the code TFP20 uh, to save on a new ground blind. And lastly, Prime Archery. You know, go try a new Prime from G5 Prime at g5prime.com and America's Best Bowstrings. Get your strings now because I just talked to Brian the other day and they're starting to ramp up, getting pretty busy. So if you guys want strings or need them right now, I would order them and use the code THEFALL at americasbestbowstrings.com. You can customize anything, go on their string builder. You can do different colors on the Platinum Premium or Pursuit Series and uh, use the code THEFALL to save some money and get some new strings coming. So that is all. That is everything. We are 35 minutes into this intro. We're going to get over to this awesome episode with Jared. As always, thank you guys very much for listening. Have a great 4th of July, and hopefully you guys enjoy this conversation with Jared Aridoti. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Fall Podcast, and we have a, a repeat offender here, Jared Aridoti. And Jared, I was looking back, actually, it was, I mean, over two years ago, I think I had you on and um, I went actually, it was like episode 123 and I went back and listened to that the other day and I I apologize because we talked more baseball than I think we did hunting and, you know, because I, I love baseball and I know you're a big baseball guy, but <laughs> so we're not going to talk baseball today because I want to get into something else like baseball's good and all, but, you know, let's get into some hunting stuff. So thanks for coming back on today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, thanks for coming on today, man. I, I greatly appreciate it. And, you know, David and I have been doing some, a lot of talking about farm country hunting and that's something that, you know, back in the day and even now you still hunt it, but like back in the day you were producing DVDs, um, you know, farm country hunting and, and marsh hunting and hill country hunting. And I really like your approach on it. So I'd really like to, to kind of keep going down that farm country stuff. If, if you, uh, if you would like to do that. Well, cool. I mean, with for everybody that you know doesn't know your name and hasn't maybe listened to that episode I've done with you or any of the other stuff that might not know next next buck outdoors or anything like that, kind of give us the elevator pitch, who you are, and and go into like how you got started into producing those DVDs and everything, and we'll just start it from right there. Sure. Um, gosh, it's next buck came about. Um, we were originally Blood Brothers Outdoors. I had a couple other partners involved, um, and one of them, Lee Gadsky, is still involved with me to this day. Um, it's not as on the front burner for us um, because of where we're at in our lives and, and me and my career. Um, but it came about as as I identified a really just a, you know, I've always loved watching hunting videos and, and television shows, um, but I just got so sick of watching the sponsor plugs and the outfitted hunts um, and just really didn't feel like I was learning stuff from them. Um, so when it, it part of it started when my stepbrother started his knife company, um, Chris Durson runs Rapid River Knife Works up in the UP where I'm from. And when he first started that in the early 2000s, I started working different trade shows with him um, to help sell his knives. And when at some of those shows, I I met guys like Andre DeQuisto and um, and Dan Infall and um, Lee Gatsky. 
um, we we met on the internet, but we also met at trade shows. Because, you know, and it's kind of like when you meet people in a couple different places, you start to pay attention more. And, and we we hung out at those shows and just talked more and more hunting. Um, my background is in art and design and photography and videography has been something I've always been passionate about. I've carried a camera in the woods with me for a long time. When I met those guys and uh, picked their brains more, I was like, my gosh, you know, we should make a video that teaches guys how to, how to do all this stuff. Right. Um, there's just nothing out there. And there really wasn't um, in the early two thousands. And this is really early in the two thousands. Um, so that's kind of where, where it started. Um, Dan and Lee and I, um, started blood brothers outdoors, uh, a forum became hugely popular, um, especially in Wisconsin. I'm from Michigan, but Dan and Lee are from, uh, Wisconsin. And it really, uh, took on a life of its own, became more popular than we kind of figured it would be. Um, and I should mention, I do web design and, and development for my career now, and I was doing it back then, working for other companies. Um, so I knew how to build websites. I, I knew how to get things kind of on the map with marketing. Um, and then when we started working towards making videos, um, it, it, of course, proved to be challenging to get kills on film and, you know, kind of put the proof behind what you're doing into tape. Um, and so, you know, that took a couple of years and then I was starting to have kids. Um, so things became more busy for me. Um, that was the first, you know, major production of DVDs I'd done. I've done a lot of smaller runs and things like that, but making a two or three hour instructional DVD and dealing with the transition from standard definition to high definition and editing platforms. I mean, it was just, you know, it was a lot, but um, yeah, we, we ended up making a few different videos and my whole goal was to focus on uh, really somebody different each video. Um, each of these terrain um, features has its own requirement for, for expertise and experience. Um, you know, we focused on Dan and the marsh hunting videos and Lee more so in the hill country because he owned a couple farms in western Wisconsin and had hunted that a long time. Andre's, you know, Andre knows what he's doing wherever, um, you know, but he grew up in Wisconsin and and was gracious enough to give us a, some cameos in, in each of those videos. Um, and then Farm Country was our third release. You know, we we focused. Uh, Paul Ramp was one of my features in in that video, and he's here in South Southwest Lower Michigan. Um, so I really wanted to focus on an expert in each of the videos, um, and and it just kind of it, it grew into that. I wanted to get uh, other videos even out on the market, um, open country or um, big woods. You know, I. I ideas for others i still have ideas for others but my th my third kid was born in 2009 i became self-employed in 2008 and my life just became too busy to um to keep to, to keep releasing videos sure. and build a business and grow you know raise a family um so the videos just kind of has taken a back seat um, Lee and I uh, parted ways from Dan in around 2009 or 10 and um, and uh, just wanted to 
keep a focus on terrain specific videos with different people in, in each one. But, um, and then it just, yeah, it just kind of became a back burner thing for me because of uh, my other priorities in life and mainly career and family. Um, so for sure. Yeah. And that, that's, what's really cool about it is that you, you know, you were one of what I would say back in that time frame. you're one of the pioneers to get that information out there. You know, you were one of the first ones to like high level, you know, the train stuff and, and everything that those guys are doing kind of put, I would say them on the map in a way, because you look at everything that you consume now from a podcast or you know, literature or whatever it might be, your videos, it started from that stuff back then, in my opinion. Like, nobody's reinventing, reinventing the wheel now. You know, it's all was brought to, you know, what you guys were doing back then. And I think that's that's really cool and something really cool to hang your hat on. Um, you might not probably look at it that way, but I do, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I'm not going to take all the credit by any means. Um, but what we did was certainly pioneering that direction in the way things have gone from a mobile hunting perspective. You know, what Andre was doing with the stands and Lone Wolf back then was we brought that to light um, because of, you know, whether it's first time in or just the ability to move. I mean, his stands have been doing that, you know, giving you that capability for a long, long time um well before the the whole saddle saddle movement became super popular i mean saddles have been around a long time as well but uh yeah it was just getting people to think out of the box more you know that it's not about outfitted hunts and private land necessarily you know it's i love hunting private land and public but um it was going beyond that the typical magazine articles and the typical videos that were just putting you in a tree and showing you success, but not really what goes into it. And that's what I, I like to hang my hat on is I, I had the idea of showing people how to do it, you know, and regardless of who you're featuring, there's a ton of guys that are great hunters that know how to do it. Um, but I've always prided myself in being able to analyze things, uh, whether it's my own hunts or someone else's and say, okay, you know, this is how it's going. This is how it's going down. And this is how they're figuring it out. This is how I'm figuring it out. And then collectively kind of putting that into a curriculum that really showed guys how it's done. You know, it's not a, there's not a magic potion behind it. Um, if you're willing to learn and willing to work and put your time, time in, you can do it. Yeah. And I, I tell you still to this day, I talk to a ton of individuals that you hear them talk about these DVDs and it's, I think it's those DVDs are the foundation for a lot of guys today where they, they started and I'll, and I'll be the first to admit, you know, when I come across those DVDs back in the day, like, you know, my, my mind was open to learning and the thing that always, like, I remember looking back at it that really kind of like clicked for me when I first started watching them especially being a guy from Michigan looking to like, you know, have the chance to kill bigger deer. I was just looking for something to do differently than what I felt everyone else around my area was doing. And so when these DVDs came out and they were just talking about, you know, bedding, that was never a thing growing up for me. It was always food, food, food. Yeah. Like it was always, you got to hunt them where, you know, the food source, the food source, the food source or in. So when I come across these DVDs, and I was open-minded to it, 
I started seeing instant results from doing things differently than what other guys in my county were doing. And like from then there, I just I took it and ran with it from for the last dozen years now. But that was that was eye opening for me. You know, it was like, what did they like? These guys are hunting where they're betting like that. That don't make sense, you know. But when you started watching it and started applying applying that information in those DVDs to my own situations a lot of that stuff started making a lot of sense, you know, and, and there may be something in the DVD that that situation may not be exactly like mine, but I could see the co- the correlation between the two and it's just started clicking from there for me. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. And I've heard that from so yeah. many guys over the years. It's, it's really, I take pride in that because yeah, we, we just pointed it out, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. Because nowadays, nowadays, you know, the, the whole, you know, the bed hunting is, is very popular. You hear it a lot now, but I'm telling you, like I, without those DVDs, it's like, there was, there was no talk about that before. And like you said, Jared, you know, all the TV shows you watched 15, 20 years ago, there was none of that stuff going on in those, in those TV shows. Zero. No. Yeah. No. And I remember even, um, it was just another idea that, could have gone somewhere, I think, but Dan and Lee and I recorded a podcast, I think it was in 2008, and I, we were kind of half joking as we were recording it, you know, like, yeah, this, but I, I'm like, this is going to be something someday. I, I think if if we were to have stayed together, you know, just if things were different, um, we'd have done more of them, I'd have done more of them, and who knows, you know, where that would have gone in itself, but um it's certainly it was the wave of the future, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I sure. mean, you, you, I mean, for anyone that's watched those DVDs, you know, a lot of those DVDs, you guys may show a hunt and you're, you know, you guys, the, you guys are sitting around talking about the hunt, then the hunt will happen, then may recap the hunt or drawing maps. Or it's like when you guys are just sitting around talking like that, that is a podcast. You know, I mean, you're just, you were recording it with a video camera where it's like that, that stuff was gold back then. Just no one, yeah. no one was doing it, you know. But it, one, one of the things I've always been interested to maybe ask you, Jared, about the DVDs, was there any rhyme or reason with how like the, the order of, um, train based, how you guys released them or just kind of like whatever was produced first to, you know, like the farm country being at the very end? Yeah, not really. Um, it, it, it just was, it was more, um, Marshbucks was first because Dan had more footage initially from his years hunting the marshes. Um, Lee never recorded as much stuff in the hill country and where he hunted. So we just didn't have as much to start. So it made more sense to, to start with the, the marshes and, um, and then that gave us time over those years because it took, and we were recording for all of it really, um, but it took a another you know an extra year or two to get enough footage. I felt for the hill country, um, so yeah, it just it felt logical to start with uh, with the marshes. Yeah, because when I've you know watched them through the years, it was always felt like. You know, you start with the marsh and then the hill country and then the farm country. We're like, yes, even though it says just farm country on it, you know, some of that farm country can butt up to marsh country and it almost overlaps itself a little bit. And even in the hills, you know, like I haven't haven't hunted a ton of hill country, 
but I know there's spots out there in the Midwest where, you know, that hill country meets up to farm country and some of that can like, it has an overlap there too. Sure. Yeah. Because, you know, at the end of it, it's hill country is talking topography, farm country is talking more um, habitat, you know, agricultural, you know, and, and so there's, it's not necessarily apples to apples, right? Um, mm -hmm. It's not that the perfect, you know, if it was hill country, you would have something where it's, you know, mountains or, or really steep country or flatland if it was just talking topography. Um, but yeah, there, there's overlap. And then I saw between hill country and farm country, I said, well, it makes more sense to go hill country next because farm country is going to be a, a hybrid of both mm -hmm. and uh, and the ag. So, so it made sense in that order. Nice. Big Woods just the same as the Big Woods as well. I grew up in the Big Woods. I was filming some, but I didn't I didn't have kills on film and I didn't have as much footage as, you know, we could have gravitated towards. But um and pro staffers come on board and you know, some guys are from up north and you know, that would have evolved into some other stuff. But uh yeah, that encompasses its own its own thing too. So. For sure. So Jared, like coming into producing this videos, like when you, when you first started hitting record on them and, and really laying down footage and, and getting in a timeline and everything, like, where would you say your, your expertise lied? Like, were you, do you think a very novice, uh, hunter at that time, lot to learn kind of thing, or did you feel like you had you know, not mastered it. Cause I don't think anybody ever masters it, but did you, did you have some things figured out? Like where were you, where did your abilities lie at that time? I wasn't a novice, um, but I wouldn't say I was an expert. No, it wasn't like I was knocking down giant bucks, like, um, like Andre or Lee. And, and, uh, I just, uh, I was a Michigan hunter. I hadn't hunted out of state much. Um, so that was, you know, meeting those guys became my first, my first exposures to hunting somewhere where, where I could see thigh size rubs and, you know, hunt the terrain that actually held giant bucks like that. Um, in Michigan, um, yeah, I, I felt confident. I was knocking down 120 class deer. Um, but like like anything around here access is just so tough and mm -hmm. and i was close by public land that i could really get to know stuff but i remember walking the first public marshes around where dan lived and i mean 50 yards from the parking lot we were finding these thigh high rubs and it's or thigh sized rubs i mean and waist waist high um and i was just blown away like okay there's actually big bucks living here you know whether okay those were nighttime type of spots in particular but it just really opened my eyes to um the, the obvious fact we all know you know you have to have big bucks around you if you're going to kill them sure. <clears throat> so you know where i was hunting i was i felt good that i could get on to the the two and three year olds that were available and when i was when i started hunting out of state it was um it was a lot easier for me and quicker for me to 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 pick up the, those areas and, and get on to older deer there. Um, so yeah, I was, I was in the intermediate to advanced stage. I was not in an expert level. Um, I felt confident in what I was doing. Um, and what I also brought to the table was, uh, an awareness and an analytical mindset that really 
could figure things out pretty quickly um, where I've always analyzed my hunts and I, and I learned from each one and, and, and I learned from other people's hunts and other people's stories. And I was starting to put down in an outline and in a script things that those guys, um, some of them didn't even realize like, oh yeah, you're right. Okay. That, that does make sense. You yeah. Know, we can, we can reproduce that the whole idea of this uh, thermal tunnel that we describe in hill country was something I started observing. It didn't take long to figure out, but when you see deer traveling at the same elevation and in most cases, you know, on a ridge and just asking yourself, why are they doing that? Um, it, it doesn't take a rocket science to figure that a rocket scientist to figure that stuff out. Um, just takes an open mind and observation and reading the sign. Um, so yeah, it's it's uh, it's a combination of a bunch of stuff. But I, what I really brought to the table and produced in the videos, besides I did all the editing and and all of that stuff, was laying out a, a storyline, laying out the script, and you know the outline of here's here's how it needs to flow. This is this is this is how these are these guys are going to learn from it. Um, so yeah, we, we could all hunt. I, I felt confident we could all hunt. We could all kill big deer. Um, For sure. Yeah. Now, what are you now looking back at that, or even now here as we sit here, what do you gravitate towards more? Is it the marsh? Is it the hills? Or is it the ag? It's the hills and the ag um, because of where I live and because of where I hunt now and, and love to hunt. Um, Lee and I just have developed a... Um, a great friendship and a you know he's kind of like another dad to me he's just a great man a great friend and he's been gracious enough to let me hunt on his properties over the years um we hunt a different spot now and and it's it's both it's hill country and it's ag and i really have a fondness for it um it's less boring to look at than flat farm country um i've always enjoyed it more than hunting flatter land in illinois um and yeah, I just love, you know, golden cornfields in the fall or the leaves turning in the, of the oaks and hardwoods. Um, that's, it's what I've grown up around and that's what I, I gravitate towards. For sure. Yeah. I got, I got a question for you, Jared, and this is just out of my pure curiosity. When you talk about hill country in Agland, kind of where they meet, you know, and I, I've never really hunted a lot of country like that. Do you prefer, let's just say, I'll give you two examples. Do you prefer food up top or do you prefer food in the bottom? If you had to pick one. No, if I had to pick one, I would, I'd probably pick food on top. Um, because top access is, I think, it, I would start by saying I prefer top access in hill country. It's just an easier way to hunt. Um, it gives you a lot more advantages. And then uh, if your food's up top, then you don't have to worry about, you know, getting down to the bottom as much. But um, yeah, that's, that's, that'd be my preference. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you, you know, when I think about farm country, I just think a lot of like sporadic, you know, movement. And even a lot of times, Aaron and I talk about this a lot, sporadic bedding in farm country. Now, when you're budding up that farm country, that ag land to hill country, does those hills 
you know, though they pull more power for that betting than the like say the sporadic uh, ad country betting does? I think so. Um, I, I think the sporadicness you see, uh, it depends. If I'm talking about Michigan, the sporadicness in betting I see is due to the breakup of land ownership and the parceling of land. Um, I think deer tend to run in circuits a lot more in in this farm country that I live around in Michigan, for example, because that's just their way they survive. They can't do the same thing all the time. Um, so the randomness you see is uh, it's it's not really randomness. It's it's they're adapting to the division of land, in in my opinion. So they'll spend a couple of days on my farm or my 20 acres I have. And then they'll be gone for three or four days and then they come back and it's it's not because of wind direction it's not because of uh you know time of year necessarily those things play into factor as well but um i think it's just a, a way they've adapted to surviving that hey don't stay in the same place more than a day or two turkey or you're not going to be here much longer and so they they tend to behave in circuits yeah, I I love that. I mm-hmm. mean, because Aaron and I we we just got done with a story with another guy, and you know, fortunately for him, he lives in Iowa, so his circumstances yeah. are a little different than ours. Yeah. But he was talking about a deer that he was kind of hunting in in big ag ground, small parcels, and for three years, this deer, he you know his 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 loop that he would make in the fall. They just could never get a rhyme or reason why he was doing what outside of, you know, say maybe maybe the rut, you know, didn't know if it's pressure or whatever. But your take on it is very interesting. And, and I definitely could see I could see that. And hell, I could even see it where I live here now. You know, really, everything is so broke up. Things are always, you know, people are always out and about shifting, changing, moving where it's like I I definitely I like that theory about to survive that he has to keep moving he can't you know technically he can't get complacent living in one spot yeah and and conversely you have to look at you know the grandma that doesn't let anybody hunt and has five or ten acres and that buck will do the same thing all fall to Mm -hmm. survive Mm -hmm. They, they will do that completely opposite of what i just said so it's it may sound contradictory but every situation is different you know that the deer will typically do whatever you whatever you allow them to do and just like late season hunting you know to go on a tangent you know they'll bed as close to the food as you as the pressure lets them and they might be in the corn or on the edge of the corner they might be a mile or two from the corn um depending on the pressure um so it every situation is different and so if they're getting bumped out of a small woodlot frequently they may still come into that woodlot, but they're not going to stay in there all the time. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And unless, uh, yeah, that's, changes, you know, it was literally like yeah. something that also opened my eyes to it is living where I live here in Southern Michigan. Um, when I first moved into my house in 2001, there was, I, I didn't see a deer in daylight for probably the first three seasons I lived here. That they just, they were so spooked from the former owners they just vacated they were gone and just they just weren't there um i I mean there were bullet casings and shot shell casings everywhere on my in my back field and it was clear they just shot at whatever walked or crawled 
and they learned to just leave, you know, when the shooting started and before that. And, and since, um, you know, and especially the last 10 years or so, um, where I really, besides my son, I haven't hunted out back myself for a particular buck, at least I'll doe hunt once in a while. But when you leave that pressure off them and they know that come gun season, they can come onto your land and stay there. I've, I've had evenings where there'll be two or three small bucks and eight or 10 does out there third day of gun season because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. it's a learned behavior yeah yeah they they're they're such a an adaptive animal you know what i mean yeah, like, really you almost drop them and drop them into any situation and they're just they're instantly adapting and then when you think like like right now around here these does are dropping fawns. Well, guess what? Those fawns, they're learning right now from their moms how to adapt. Mom, you know, I yeah. even even these even some of these spots I watch these these does move in just to have a fawn those first two or three weeks to keep it alive, and then they'll move right out. But it's like I'll watch the same doe do that for two or three years straight, and it's like holy mm-hmm. cow! Like they 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 can adapt, and I tell you what, that that is one thing about about you know farm country basically is you know you go out in the swamps and the marshes you know they're going to bet on the high spots and you know usually it that's the name of the game or in hill country that that military crest that top third and you know there's always different you know different circumstances but man in farm country it is like you almost have to be studying what's going on around the deer sometimes more than the deer itself to truly find what the deer are going to be doing yeah yeah the more humans you have the more factors at play Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. not just about the terrain, but, um, yeah, there's still, yeah, it, it is. I mean, it's just varies. You have to learn to adapt as a hunter and pay attention to what you're seeing or yeah. not seeing. Yeah. And I, yeah. I want to take it a step further too, because I, I hunt a lot of big open ag ground with little woodlots and I'm talking five, six acre patches. And, uh, mm-hmm. they're flat, not a lot of terrain change or nothing like that. But I will say just as much as you feel like your little patch of ground could be, I think the neighboring farms being better is, is more of an impact. Like I have some farms that the neighboring ground, I would love to be able to hunt in there because it's better than the five acres I might have, but their property makes my property better because of a ditch or, you know, um, a terrain feature that might, you know, lead into my feed into my four or five acres. Like it's, I think the neighboring farms need to be just as good, if not better, you know, and that goes as far as well as like the pressure that they put on, but also if they don't put any pressure on, you know, the terrain or the habitat that, that uh that might feed your ground do you see that a lot do you, would you agree with that so yeah it's when neighboring ground is is one of those where it definitely has an influence right you know so if if it can it can help you or hurt you if there's no pressure then the bucks got less reason to leave mm-hmm. and you have a lower chance of getting them on your side. If there's high pressure, um, he may leave or it may just be nocturnal, you know, and I've seen both um, where 
like honestly there's a neighboring property in wisconsin where we hunt where I, lee and i just can't believe the deer are still there there just always seems to be deer still on it despite how much they drive it and how many people bow hunt it and all the pressure it receives you still see deer coming in in and out of it but what happens is they're more nocturnal you just don't see them move around in daylight as much as you would in iowa you know just not very far from the other side of the river it's uh it's really it's frustrating it is yeah. it's very frustrating because they they have an influence the deer are still there but they're extremely skittish because of it and um and yet the opposite if if it was 300 or 30 acres and there's no pressure on it and you know those deer are in there they just don't want to come out you know because maybe there's enough pressure that they still aren't nocturnal but now they're not coming onto your property at all because there's no pressure there right so yeah it's it's a little bit of everything um it's, it's not cut and dry but um there's there's some of both yeah, for sure. Now, I I want to transition a little bit here in talking about bumping a buck. Um, bumping a buck in hill country versus bumping one in ag ground. How different do you see uh, these deer acting when you do that, when when you bump one in ag or when you bump one in, in like a hill country setting? Well, historically, where I've hunted and just in general high pressure areas, um, bumping a buck isn't a good idea right exactly <laughs> if it happens i'm, I'm saying back, you know? <laughs> yeah right yeah. yeah i mean iowa and those kind of states are different stories but um in, in michigan and wisconsin where i've hunted i just i haven't had good luck bumping them and getting them come back and do the same same thing right away um i think it comes uh, uh, there's so many factors right but cover you know and and how how far do they have to go to get to their next safe place you know can they go just down the ridge or do they have to run across a clear open field and bed a mile away now um so many factors at play that uh there's i, I just don't see a yeah a cut and dry rule to it and as far as how the terrain differs and and what they do um i don't know how much that plays a factor versus uh really it's just the number of safe havens they have and and how close proximity they are i think it would in general i think hill country is going to have more bedding bedding areas in a closer proximity than farm country especially given the breakup of ag land um unless you're you're in an Iowa or Kansas where the parcels are larger. Um, but the, even then, if it's bigger parcels, they tend to have larger farm fields. So the woodlots are farther apart. And when you bump them from one to another, it may be a while before they circuit back through and give it another try. Um, but yeah, it's uh, in, in my experience with hill country, they, they don't tend to go as far because it's bigger timber it's bigger blocks of land and yeah they can probably take cover within a relatively close proximity still and they might, may not leave the county yeah and that that's why i i asked because the bucks that you know hunting small patches of woods uh it's it, you gotta treat them differently they're very delicate and oh. i hate bumping deer 
I absolutely hate it. I don't care where I'm at in the country. I hate bumping deer. I always have. And, um, you know, when, if I bump a deer, uh, you know, a, a older age class deer in ag ground, in my experiences, I, there's a good chance I'm never going to see him again because of the openness that I hunt. Like you said, they might go a mile in bed and then greener pastures there. And then let's say he gets bumped out of there. He's probably not coming back a mile to my place. You know, um, I just don't, I, I just see that they, they just get affected differently. Now with the hill stuff, when, when I bump stuff there, it's, a, it could be a ridge over. It could be, you know, just a small transition, a, a little movement, a little adjustment here. Um, that's why I asked because I, I just want to see what the correlation was with, with you. I know you hunt all over the U S and different, different settings, different terrain and everything like that. And I just want to see, you know, what you've experienced and, and it sounds like it's a lot of like what I've experienced. Yeah, I think so. What you just said, I mean, that's, that rings true for what I see. Um, it, and then again, it just, it, it comes down to your neighbors, you know, and in general, there's a lot of pressure everywhere in the Midwestern States, um, outside of Iowa, Kansas, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, so if your neighbors also hunt, if they also pressure the land, if they also occasionally bump deer, kind of works to all of your advantage that you, you know, the, they bounce around. Um, but if, you know, they spread out territorially when the testosterone kicks in and the, you know, the bucks don't tolerate each other and you, you get a chance early on a buck, if you bump him, he may be gone and not come back, you know, because of that, if, yeah. he, if he has an option of somewhere else that isn't getting pressured, but um, yeah. So it just depends on your neighbors, you know, how much <laughs> you might bump something or not. Yeah, no, I, I agree with both of you guys on the, uh, the bumping a deer, you know, there, there's some swamps I've hunted in Michigan and still hunt where it's like, you, you know, you bump a deer, you know, say if he's just come off his bed or if he's on his bed and you push it a little too close and you bump him off of it, he can go 150 yards and be out of sight and, and still in the thick of it. And he feels safe. There's also little woodlots I've hunted in Michigan where he has to run across the road three quarters of a mile to get to the next piece of cover you know but sometimes in sometimes in open you know ag country they can jump down into a ditch and feel safe there where it's like it the situations are are so different you know but it's funny yeah, that it's i keep fun. hearing talking about talking about like the neighbors you know in how much pressure they're putting on and we talked about a little bit earlier on about learning the outside circumstances of the deer you know or this this took me some years to figure out but I hunt one particular piece that, you know, like early in the season, it wouldn't hold very good. Some of the better bucks wouldn't be using it. But somewhere in the middle of October, which, you know, the time when we were all told that can't kill anything, somewhere in the middle of October, it would always be, get flooded with bucks. Like they just opened the floodgates and they all would come in. About after hunting that area about for three or four years, I quickly realized, well, it only took about that first week of heavy pressure on the neighboring property. And next thing you know, all these, you know, these, you know, two or three really good bucks would move into this square mile where I can hunt. And it was like, oh, game on. But that first yeah. week, boy, if you, if you went there that first week, you think it was a ghost town, hmm. but let that neighbor and pr property pressure a little bit, you know, cause they don't have a lot of land. This isn't, you know. This isn't a couple hundred acre chunks. This is, this is small, you know, ag land. 
they put that pressure on and here are those bucks coming if you be patient right off the bat and know that place like the back of your hand you get a real good chance at it in quote unquote the time of the year when you're not supposed to be killing one <laughs> yeah right, right. let your neighbor yeah, screw awesome. it up <laughs> yeah. yeah and it comes you, you get that from paying attention right yeah you know minded mm-hmm. not listening to the those you know myths out there about mid-october but pay attention and act accordingly yeah, it, you know, yeah. That, i could go ahead well i was just gonna say that's something that we recently talked about on a, another podcast jared is that like the 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 ag that i hunt um over the years i've i've really learned to hunt windows and historical windows and um so i'm not over pressuring things you know i think a lot of people might only have a 10 acre, 15 acre, five acre, one acre chunk that that's what they hunt and they want to hunt, which good on you. If you know, go hunt and do your thing. If that's might be the only place to have, um, you're probably over hunting it. But a lot of the stuff I have is windows and just so happened. One of those windows every year is October 12th through like the 18th. There's about a five or six day window on a historical scrape that a buck will show up you know, a, a good, you know, age class buck that you want to shoot will show up on that mid morning, you know, and, and it's a, it's a, and what I think it is, is we talk about those circuits. I think in the terrain in the area that I hunt, that's just part of the circuit. And that is when, you know, a upper age class deer likes to, likes to use the piece of timber I have. And I treat it the same every year. I don't ever go in it hardly at all. I mean, the scouting's done. It's not very big. You know, it's kind of a rinse and repeat thing. And every year, one will show up. I just have to be there. And there's like two or three windows throughout October and um, that I can do on that piece. And, and that's when I hunt it. I don't go in it unless those windows are happening. And uh, I think a lot of people overlook that as well look for those little windows and then strike while the iron's hot. If it, if it's telling you year after year to do that, then I would say probably do it. Yeah, I agree. Those patterns are become, I wouldn't say obvious. Sometimes they're obvious, but trail cameras are that little cheat we have as hunters now that give us that Intel um, that let us compare year after year and learn, Oh my gosh, this buck shows up end of October every year or does this or does that. Um, you pay attention to that kind of stuff you can you can have success yeah yeah I, w- I was recently on a podcast um and the guy asked me something because i the more i do this the more i've really been paying attention to those you know historical information whether it's on a specific buck or a specific doe or a specific spot i've really been trying to watch that over the last 10 years and he asked me he said well how would you do that if you didn't have trail cameras and I'm like the, the only way you could honestly in my opinion learn that is you would have to visually be visually see it for multiple years in a row to be able to try to start putting those pieces to the puzzle together you know like that would to get that historical information would be so so tough you know what I mean I mean yeah maybe you could uh you know continuously be checking a certain spot for a certain track you know that that heats up the tracks at a certain time but Boy, that would be tough. And, and I tell you that the historical information in farm country, you know, what Aaron just talked about is those those three to four day windows, which I'm a really big believer in it. The thing with farm country, though, is like, man, you got to strike when the iron's hot because 
mm-hmm. man, it could be good for two days and a, you know, 40 hours, 48 hours later, he's three miles away. You know, like, like Jared said in, in the very beginning, like these circuits, you know what I mean? I was like, man, it, one day you think you're on them and the next day they're, they're miles away in this ag country. Yeah. Whether it's rut related or just, I, I think survival, survival based, uh, circuit, you know, movement, um, I've noticed it even out back in my house, you know, when you live in the same place for 20 years, you, you notice habits. Um, and I've noticed when I see a buck in the morning, I'll typically see him in the evening, but then I won't see him. Yeah. I might not see him again the whole season or, um, it might be a week or two, but that's, that's just one of those trends you see over the years that usually when you see something in the morning, you'll see it in the evening. And then you may not see him again, you know, because he's off doing his next thing. You are speaking my language right him. now. <laughs> yeah, I've learned. That. I mean, if you see, if you're in a, you're in a set in the morning, you see a buck do something from a distance or whatever, make a move. Yeah, that's your best chance. And and you're not gonna probably not gonna get another one. I couldn't agree more, man. It, that is what I do. I, I, the, the ag I have, I hardly ever hunt it in the morning. My, my, my take in the morning is, you know, I'll take my daughter to school and I'm blessed to be able to work from home and, uh, am close to the farms. I get to hunt. So it's not very far drive. I start doing loops in the morning and just glassing. And if I can see one, if I can catch one at first light going into that timber, guess where I'm going tonight. And mm-hmm. last year I capitalized on that and killed on October 13th for the second year in a row, uh, doing that, seeing a deer go in there. Um, not a very big woodlot went into a historical scrape, shot him 45 minutes before dark that night, right over that scrape, trying to get back that's into awesome. there. And I'm like, it's, it's happened to me enough now where it's like, that's just my game plan. That's my rinse and repeat and ag. And it doesn't matter where I go in the country. If I'm hunting ag like that, that's how I approach it, you know, and it's, that's just my thing. And I absolutely love doing it. I, I just do it. It's so much fun for me. And that's why like, maybe cause the ag is so passionate or passion of mine. Like I feel like not a lot of people, not a lot of people talk about it, but we did a podcast with a guy from Iowa. David referred to it. Um, he firmly believes that, uh, ag ground, there's more mature deer and bigger deer per you know in in the areas than there would be in like a big hill country which you know it is he grew up big big timber hunting and then he's transitioned to big ag and now he sees that's that's his you know what he sees and and i have tend to agree with him because i grew up big hill country hunting and now ag and i see the same thing 10 minutes away from where i hunt ag the deer are significantly smaller and younger and I hardly ever hunt that anymore because the deer are bigger and older in the ag. Do you see that at all either or also? Uh, yeah, in general, I have to think of some specifics, you know, like body size in big woods um, where I've hunted typically is less than ag, um, you know, like where I grew up in the UP. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you've got big swamp bucks here and there, but in general, they're heavier, they're bigger. Um, I remember the first, my buck, my brother killed a two and a half year old buck and back in like 2001 on a our first ever Illinois out of state hunt. 
and it weighed 185 dressed out. It was a two and a half year old deer. Wow. And we were just blown away. You know, he thought it was a giant walking by him. <laughs> yeah, they're bigger, healthier, stronger, where they get the food, where they get the nutrition. So, I mean, that that makes sense. Where you have ag intersect uh, hill country, um, I think you do have opportunities to have more mature bucks because of more bedding. Um, but it, yeah, it depends. It depends on the, the amount, the percentage of tillable and timber and just cover and you know, so many variables. Right. But yeah, I can't disagree that the nutrition is there. It makes sense. They'd be bigger and healthier. Yeah, for sure. And, um, that kind of takes me to my next point a little bit. And, and what, we, what I really, you know, also wanted to talk to you about is you're, you're, uh, you're a big advocate of the first time in to a, a location, right? I mean, you, Absolutely. you're, mm-hmm. you're like catch them, you know, element of surprise kind of thing. I want to talk a little bit about that and pick your brain on the element of surprise. And, and, and when you go, maybe, maybe you're traveling to a different state or something like that. And you might be on like a 10 day hunt or however long it might be like, what's your approach with that when you might only have, you know, not a very big area to hunt or maybe you're limited. Let's just say you're limited on one farm or two farms maybe and not blowing it up. Like, how do you, how do you approach that? Is the, is the thought in your mind, like I have to strike, you know, in different areas all the time or like, does that make sense? Like, how do you, how do you approach being the element of surprise there? Yeah, it's, it's tough without getting super specific. Um, I can't give you exact tactics. Um, but yeah, for example, if it's a 10 day hunt, you got two farms to hunt. Um, let's say they're each 200 acres or something, you know, again, it, it depends on, well, how many, how much tillable do you have? How much right. woods do you have? I mean, how many, if you look at an aerial, where do you see potential stand sites where you are going to begin scouting? You know, is there a river bottom or a river you can walk and be less intrusive? Can you buzz it with an e-bike? Do you have to walk it all? Um, aside from, and assuming you have no cameras for Intel, um, generally the first step is to walk the perimeter of a field and, and you'll learn really quickly what, where the deer are congregating okay this is the most browse this is the most tracks these are the most edge scrapes um here's where acorns are dropping or not um what is the crop status you know how are they eating the corn or the beans um what is it you know there's so many variables it's like fishing you know when you can catch fish anywhere but on any a particular day okay what's the water temperature what's the depth what What's their food source right now? So you, over the years of, of analyzing and learning how to do it, that's that's your approach is you, you quickly skim the perimeter. Um, you, may, you may do an observation sit for a night or two or a night and a morning. Um, but generally if, if, you know, and it's different 20 years into doing something versus being new at it, you, you, you're quicker to realize, okay, they're not here or maybe they are here, but I'm going to sit again. Mm-hmm. And, and so your experience tells you whether to move on or stay put. Um, but yeah, it's, it's that process of if I don't, don't have cameras, I, um, it depends on the time of year. If it's pre-rut, um, 
late October, I'm focused on scrapes. I'm going to probably buzz around until I maybe even bump something, but I find the fresh sign where the deer are and find a primary scrape or two. Ideally, I'm going to find uh, hopefully two, maybe more, but two good hot scrapes and put time on those where I, I may sit more than a couple, more than one sit at them, knowing that it's the right time of year. I'm in the right, I'm in the right habitat. There's enough sign here, fresh rubs or big tracks that tell me he's going to be back here within the next couple of days. So yeah, it, it varies a lot, but that's, that's my mindset. You yeah. know? It's going to change. If you give me a specific scenario, I, I, I'd give you probably a different answer, but yeah. No, that's, that, that's what, I, uh, what I do walk a perimeter edge and quickly learn where they're feeding, where the tracks are. And then, then you look back at your, okay, if, if most of the tracks are here, this is probably the bedding area they're using. This is the wind. I'm going to walk in deep enough that I'm expecting to find a scrape here, 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 um, stuff like that. Yeah, there, there's a formula out there where it's experience plus being able to adapt, come together. Yeah. That that is really? that is the key. True. So true, yeah. And yeah. there's certain things that can't be taught. You just have to know years of doing it, help you see what's going on and tell you how to react. Um, just like, a, a again, I say a fisherman, but a, at the end of a tournament, a guy standing on the podium that caught all the fish, well, I was just using this red jig with a crawler in 20 feet of water off a such and such point where there was grass. And it seemed so obvious and easy. You know, anybody could go there and catch fish, but it took that guy figuring it out on that given set of two days to have success. And everyone else tried something else and didn't have as much, you know, so... The more you do it, the quicker you're quicker you are at figuring it out, and and it leads to more success. Yeah, and j- j- give us a rough estimate if you can think off the top of your head on the subject of first first time in sits. Out of out of all the animals you've killed, how many of them were truly on the first time in that area, to or like the first time hunting that tree for that uh, buck in there? Yeah, I would. My gut would tell me to say 75% or more. Um, it might be higher as far as my, if I were to say mature bucks that I've killed outside of the rut, um, and there's been quite a few and I can only think of one where I'd sat that spot a couple times and it was because, well, it was a new stand, but it was a hundred yards apart. I moved my stand. So I, I don't really consider it the uh, virgin sit, but I do because I move my stand mm-hmm. enough that I, I wasn't in the same spot, but I was, um, I was still hunting the same deer in the same basic area. But um, man, it it has to be upwards of eighty or ninety percent. It's just that predictable, <laughs> you know. It yeah, makes that's, me that convinced <laughs> that uh, you know, and someone could say, well, I. I always kill them on the first sit because I always move. Well, you're always going to, if you never sit the same spot twice, but there are times when it makes sense to sit the same spot twice, because I was thinking about this a little, when you gave me the, you mentioned the topic the other day, I said, well, it's really not about the success doesn't come from the first sit. The success comes from 
the first time since that buck has been there that you're there. And, and, and it might be three days, it might be one day, but you're typically, you know, you hunt something. The theory is you hunt with fresh sign. And the idea is that that buck's coming through here again pretty soon because the sign is telling me so. And if it doesn't work out, your assumption is, well, he's probably went through that night or, you know, or even the other deer are going to be alerted and you're educating other deer as well as your target deer. And so, but if you can get away with a sit that isn't intrusive, I mean, e-bikes have helped a lot, um, you know, just and that the entry and exit is just so key. If you can get get away with not alerting other deer or your target deer, uh, you can hunt it multiple times. Or if you're in a big woods scenario, or maybe it's a rut scenario where you just know that, well, I can keep sitting it because I really don't think he's been through here yet. And if I, you know, he's not coming through every day, but in the next week he'll probably come through. Um, then, then you can have success there as well. I like that, and man. That's a little more rut, you know. That's, you know. <laughs> I. There were some good nuggets right there. <laughs> There's some knowledge <laughs> bombs in there. I really like. <laughs> <laughs> there were some good. There were some good ones, man. I I like it. Um, a little bit of piggyback off that. Have you ever killed? You know, whatever you want to call. You know, for a mature buck. Um, have you ever killed two mature bucks from one one uh, the same tree that you've hunted before? No. No, I honestly haven't. Um, yeah. There, uh, I'm trying to think here. It's been rare that I've had an opportunity to hunt the same farm multiple seasons, you know, over the years. Mm -hmm. I've had a couple leases, and I'm, I'm very grateful I've got permission in Wisconsin where I hunt now. We've got enough ground where the few bucks I've killed there have been from different, different trees, different setups, um, usually first time in. Um, yeah, those were all, those were all first sits. Um, yeah, I, I'm the same. I'm the same as you. I was, I was down in the basement one day looking at the deer and I was thinking, you know, I've never killed, none of these deer have ever came from the same tree. You know what I mean? And yeah. you start, and I, I wanted to, you know, those kind of those two questions why I wanted to ask you, you know, you're talking about first time in, you know, since the buck's been there, you're talking 80, 90% um success there and then it's like then you start thinking about that you've never had two bucks come from the same tree like those those numbers don't lie there's something to be had there and, and right. it's very easy i can remember you know when i first started mobile hunting you know the whole goal was not to be like complacent like don't get don't get stuck in one area you know and and as you start seeing success you know like you said those numbers don't lie when you start seeing success come from that, it's like, holy shit, like that, this is the real, like that, this is a, a really effective way to hunt mature whitetails. Yeah. And, uh, you learn a lot by asking the right questions to, to other experienced hunters. Um, because if you're paying attention, you get those nuggets, like you say, um, and it saves you years. You know, that's why these podcasts and stuff are so popular anymore because it can take years off of a learning curve and in, in doing certain things. And then there's other things that don't. You just experience just won't, there's no replacement for experience. 
as far as the speed of being able to process things and then the doubt that you have um of like did i sit the right place what did i do wrong you know guys that have been there done that they don't really doubt themselves they can have that peace of mind that yeah i'm doing things right it'll eventually work i'll keep doing the way i do it and and i usually have success but you're still open to something new um yeah. and it's so it makes it fun yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I really, I've always said it. It's like, I feel like the, the best deer hunters are the guys that adapt the best to the situation. And, you know, the guys that can apply the information they've been told, you know, in their scenario, the best. Um, like, you know, taking what we've said today, there might be a guy that listens to it and can take one nugget out of what we said today and go kill his biggest deer this next year in his scenario it might be a lot different because no two scenarios are the same. I mean, there's just always so many variables from, from place to place, but if people can take that information and learn how to apply it, that is, that is key. And that's valuable in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That and that and being open-minded. I don't, I don't, I don't care how many deer someone has on the wall. Like those guys that keep an open mind and ask questions, ask the, you know, the why questions, even deer hunt, when they see deer do a certain thing, you're like, well, why did they do that? You know, and, and then they go figure it out in the off season. Those, those guys that continually being a student of this game, those guys are killers because like, they're never, it's never good enough for them. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you have uh, years of, uh, experience proven the opposite too. you know, if you pay attention to what has gone wrong, the fact that like when I was a kid, when we did have success, even though we didn't know it at the time, you know, we thought, well, all we got to do is repeat that, you know, we'll do the same thing next year. In fact, we'll go in there before season and oh, yeah. clear the lanes and, you know, make things extra sweet and screw, screw it all up, you know, and, nothing turns out the same and so you just have this gradual decline of success after some initial success that you just stumbled on or you, you don't even know why it it was successful and so once you have that experience behind you like you know well i'm not going to do that again so at the very least i'm going to mix it up so you know it works the other way too just pay attention to what doesn't work and yeah don't for sure yeah, it definitely works both ways. So, Jared, yep. I want to thank you for coming on today. And if you could, real quick, if if you could tell everybody where they could find those DVDs that you produced, and if they want to purchase any, and uh, where they can find you know everything that you're doing, if you have it anywhere out there. Yeah, I'm one of those that doesn't keep my personal business uh, super up to date, but Herodoti <laughs> Studios is my my web design and development company. Um, if anyone needs a website or, you know, custom sites, uh, we do a lot of uh, high-end projects. I've got Hollywood celebrities even now as clients. Uh, we do some big businesses and uh, small mom and pops as well. So Herodoti Studios, if you look that up, um, happy to help you. As far as the DVDs, nextbuckoutdoors.com is uh is where you can find my dvds should be launching our new website here pretty soon it'll still be on the same address so um and if anyone has any technical issues because i'm not keeping it up today just give me a call, or drop <laughs> me a call. well jared i greatly yeah. appreciate you coming on today man and, and taking the You're time and, and explaining everything thank you very much
No problem, guys. Yeah, enjoyed it.